Section six of the Chorus Girl and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. The Chorus Girl and Other Stories by Anton Chekhov. Translated by Constance Garnett. My Life The Story of a Provincial. Part four. Two days later she sent me to Dubechnia, and I was unutterably delighted to go. As I walked towards the station and afterwards, as I was sitting in the train, I kept laughing from no apparent cause, and people looked at me as though I were drunk. Snow was falling, and there were still frosts in the mornings, but the roads were already dark-coloured, and rooks hovered over them, cawing. At first I had intended to fit up an abode for us two, Masha and me, in the lodge at the side opposite Madame Cheprakov's lodge, but it appeared that the doves and the ducks had been living there for a long time, and it was impossible to clean it without destroying a great number of nests. There was nothing for it but to live in the comfortless rooms of the big house with the sunblinds. The peasants called the house the palace. There were more than twenty rooms in it, and the only furniture was a piano and a child's armchair lying in the attic. And if Masha had brought all her furniture from the town, we should even then have been unable to get rid of the impression of immense emptiness and cold. I picked out three small rooms with windows looking into the garden, and worked from early morning till night setting them to rights, putting in new panes, papering the walls, filling up the holes and chinks in the floors. It was easy, pleasant work. I was continually running to the river to see whether the ice were not going. I kept fancying that starlings were flying. And at night, Thinking of Masha, I listened with an unutterably sweet feeling, with clutching delight, to the noise of the rats and the wind droning and knocking above the ceiling. It seemed as though some old house spirit were coughing in the attic. The snow was deep. A great deal had fallen even at the end of March, but it melted quickly, as though by magic, and the spring floods passed in a tumultuous rush, so that by the beginning of April the starlings were already noisy, and yellow butterflies were flying in the garden. It was exquisite weather. Every day, towards evening, I used to walk to the town to meet Masha, and what a delight it was to walk with bare feet along the gradually drying, still soft road. Halfway I used to sit down and look towards the town, not venturing to go near it. The sight of it troubled me. I kept wondering how the people I knew would behave to me when they heard of my love. What would my father say? What troubled me particularly was the thought that my life was more complicated and that I had completely lost all power to set it right, and that like a balloon, it was bearing me away, God knows whither. I no longer considered the problem how to earn my daily bread, how to live,
but thought about i really don't know what masha used to come in a carriage i used to get in with her and we drove to dubetchnya feeling light-hearted and free or after waiting till the sun had set i would go back dissatisfied and dreary wondering why masha had not come at the gate or in the garden i would be met by a sweet unexpected apparition it was she it would turn out that she had come by rail and had walked from the station what a festival it was in a simple woolen dress with a kerchief on her head with a modest sunshade but laced in slender in expensive foreign boots it was a talented actress playing the part of a little work girl we looked round our domain and decided which should be her room and which mine where we would have our avenue our kitchen garden our beehives we already had hens ducks and geese which we loved because they were ours we had all ready for sowing oats clover timothy grass buckwheat and vegetable seeds and we always looked at all these stores and discussed at length the crop we might get and everything masha said to me seemed extraordinarily clever and fine this was the happiest time of my life soon after st thomas's week we were married at our parish church in the village of kurilovka two miles from dubetchnya masha wanted everything to be done quietly at her wish our best men were peasant lads the sacristan sang alone and we came back from the church in a small jolting chaise which she drove herself our only guest from the town was my sister cleopatra to whom masha sent a note three days before the wedding my sister came in a white dress and wore gloves during the wedding she cried quietly from joy and tenderness her expression was motherly and infinitely kind she was intoxicated with our happiness and smiled as though she were absorbing a sweet delirium and looking at her during our wedding i realized that for her there was nothing in the world higher than love earthly love and that she was dreaming of it secretly timidly but continually and passionately she embraced and kissed masha and not knowing how to express her rapture said to her of me he is good he is very good before she went away she changed into her ordinary dress and drew me into the garden to talk to me alone father is very much hurt she said that you have written nothing to him you ought to have asked for his blessing but in reality he is very much pleased he says that this marriage will raise you in the eyes of all society and that under the influence of maria viktorovna you will begin to take a more serious view of life we talk of nothing but you in the evenings now and yesterday he actually used the expression our misail that pleased me it seemed as though he had some plan in his mind and i fancy he wants to set you an example of magnanimity and be the first to speak of reconciliation 
it is very possible he may come here to see you in a day or two she hurriedly made the sign of the cross over me several times and said well god be with you be happy anuta blagovo is a very clever girl she says about your marriage that god is sending you a fresh ordeal to be sure married life does not bring you only joy but suffering too that's bound to be so masha and i walked a couple of miles to see her on her way we walked back slowly and in silence as though we were resting masha held my hand my heart felt light and i had no inclination to talk about love we had become closer and more akin now that we were married and we felt that nothing now could separate us your sister is a nice creature said masha but it seems as though she had been tormented for years your father must be a terrible man i began telling her how my sister and i had been brought up and what a senseless torture our childhood had really been when she heard how my father had so lately beaten me she shuddered and drew closer to me don't tell me any more she said it's horrible now she never left me we lived together in the three rooms in the big house and in the evenings we bolted the door which led to the empty part of the house as though someone were living there whom we did not know and were afraid of i got up early at dawn and immediately set to work of some sort i mended the carts made paths in the garden dug the flower beds painted the roof of the house when the time came to sow the oats i tried to plough the ground over again to harrow and to sow and i did it all conscientiously keeping up with our labourer I was worn out. The rain and the cold wind made my face and feet burn for hours afterwards. I dreamed of ploughed land at night, but field labour did not attract me. I did not understand farming, and I did not care for it. It was perhaps because my forefathers had not been tillers of the soil, and the very blood that flowed in my veins was purely of the city i loved nature tenderly i loved the fields and meadows and kitchen gardens but the peasant who turned up the soil with his plough and urged on his pitiful horse wet and tattered with his craning neck was to me the expression of coarse savage ugly force and every time i looked at his uncouth movements i involuntarily began thinking of the legendary life of the remote past before men knew the use of fire the fierce bull that ran with the peasant's herd and the horses when they dashed about the village stamping their hoofs moved me to fear and everything rather big strong and angry whether it was the ram with its horns the gander or the yard dog seemed to me the expression of the same coarse savage force this mood was particularly strong in me in bad weather when heavy clouds were hanging over the black ploughed land above all when i was ploughing or sowing and two or three people stood looking how i was doing it I had not the feeling that this work was inevitable and obligatory, and it seemed to me that I was amusing myself. 
I preferred doing something in the yard, and there was nothing I liked so much as painting the roof. I used to walk through the garden and the meadow to our mill. It was let to a peasant of Kurilovka called Stepan, a handsome, dark fellow with a thick black beard who looked very strong. He did not like the miller's work and looked upon it as dreary and unprofitable, and only lived at the mill in order not to leave at home. He was a leather worker and was always surrounded by a pleasant smell of tar and leather. He was not fond of talking, he was listless and sluggish, and was always sitting in the doorway or on the river-bank, humming, Oo-loo-loo. His wife and mother-in-law, both white-faced, languid, and meek, used sometimes to come from Kurilovka to see him. They made low bows to him and addressed him formally, Stepan Petrovitch while he went on sitting on the river-bank, softly humming oo without responding by word or movement to their bows. One hour and then a second would pass in silence. His mother-in-law and wife, after whispering together, would get up and gaze at him for some time, expecting him to look round. Then they would make a low bow, and in a sugary, chanting voices say, "Goodbye, Stepan Petrovitch and they would go away. After that, Stepan, picking up the parcel they had left, containing cracknels or a shirt, would heave a sigh and say, winking in their direction, the female sex. The mill, with two sets of millstones, worked day and night. I used to help Stepan. I liked the work, and when he went off, I was glad to stay and take his place. After bright warm weather came a spell of wet. All May it rained and was cold. The sound of the mill wheels and of the rain disposed one to indolence and slumber. The floor trembled, there was a smell of flour, and that too induced drowsiness. My wife in a short fur-lined jacket and in men's high golosh boots would make her appearance twice a day, and she always said the same thing. And this is called summer, worse than it was in October. We used to have tea and make the porridge together, or we would sit for hours at a stretch without speaking, waiting for the rain to stop. Once, when Stepan had gone off to the fair, Masha stayed all night at the mill. When we got up, we could not tell what time it was, and the rain clouds covered the whole sky, but sleepy cocks were crowing at Dubechnia, and land rails were calling in the meadows. It was still very, very early. My wife and I went down to the mill pond and drew out the net which Stepan had brought in overnight in our presence. A big pike was struggling in it, and a crawfish was twisting about, clawing upwards with its pincers. Let them go, said Masha. Let them be happy, too. Because we got up so early and afterwards did nothing, that day seemed very long, the longest day in my life. Towards evening Stepan came back, and I went home. Your father came today, said Masha. Where is he? I asked. He has gone away. I would not see him. Seeing that I remained standing and silent, 
that I was sorry for my father, she said, "'One must be consistent. I would not see him, and sent word to him not to trouble to come and see us again.' A minute later I was out at the gate and walking to the town to explain things to my father. It was muddy, slippery, cold. For the first time since my marriage I felt suddenly sad and in my brain exhausted by that long grey day there was stirring the thought that perhaps i was not living as i ought i was worn out little by little i was overcome by despondency and indolence i did not want to move or think and after going on a little i gave it up with a wave of my hand and turned back the engineer in a leather overcoat with a hood was standing in the middle of the yard. Where is the furniture? There used to be lovely furniture in the Empire style. There used to be pictures. There used to be vases. While now you could play ball in it. I bought the place with the furniture. The devil take her! Moisey, a thin, pockmarked fellow of twenty-five, with insolent little eyes, who was in the service of the general's widow, stood near him, crumpling up his cap in his hands. One of his cheeks was bigger than the other, as though he had lain too long on it. "'Your honour was graciously pleased to buy the place without the furniture,' he brought in irresolutely. "'I remember.' "'Hold your tongue!' shouted the engineer, he turned crimson and shook with anger, and the echo in the garden loudly repeated his shout. When I was doing anything in the garden or the yard, Moisey would stand beside me, and folding his arms behind his back he would stand lazily and impudently staring at me with his little eyes. And this irritated me to such a degree that I threw up my work and went away. From Stepan we heard that Moisey was Madame Cheprakov's lover. I noticed that when people came to her to borrow money they addressed themselves first to Moisey, and once I saw a peasant, black from head to foot, he must have been a coal-heaver, bow down at Moisey's feet. Sometimes, after a little whispering, he gave out money himself without consulting his mistress, from which I concluded that he did a little business on his own account. He used to shoot in our garden, under our windows, carried off victuals from our cellar, borrowed our horses without asking permission, and we were indignant and began to feel as though Dubichnya were not ours, and Masha would say, turning pale, can we really have to go on living with these reptiles another eighteen months? Madame Cheprakov's son, Ivan, was serving as a guard on our railway line. He had grown much thinner and feebler during the winter, so that a single glass was enough to make him drunk, and he shivered out of the sunshine. He wore the guard's uniform with aversion and was ashamed of it, but considered his post a good one, as he could steal the candles and sell them. My new position excited in him a mixed feeling of wonder, envy, and a vague hope that something of the same sort might happen to him. 
he used to watch marcia with ecstatic eyes ask me what i had for dinner now and his lean and ugly face wore a sad and sweetish expression and he moved his fingers as though he were feeling my happiness with them listen better than nothing he said fussily relighting his cigarette at every instant there was always a litter where he stood for he wasted dozens of matches lighting one cigarette listen my life now is the nastiest possible the worst of it is any subaltern could shout hi there god i have overheard all sorts of things in the train my boy and do you know i have learned that life's a beastly thing my mother has been the ruin of me a doctor in the train told me that if parents are immoral their children are drunkards or criminals think of that once he came into the yard staggering his eyes gazed about blankly his breathing was laboured he laughed and cried and babbled as though in a high fever and the only words i could catch in his muddled talk were my mother where is my mother which he uttered with a wail like a child who has lost his mother in a crowd i led him into our garden and laid him down under a tree and masha and i took turns to sit by him all that day and all night he was very sick and masha looked with aversion at his pale wet face and said is it possible these reptiles will go on living another year and a half in our yard it's awful it's awful and how many mortifications the peasants caused us how many bitter disappointments in those early days in the spring months when we so longed to be happy my wife built a school i drew a plan of a school for sixty boys and the zemstvo board approved of it but advised us to build the school at Kurilovka, the big village, which was only two miles from us. Moreover, the school at Kurilovka, in which children from four villages, our Dubichne being one of the number, were taught, was old and too small, and the floor was scarcely safe to walk upon. At the end of March, at Masha's wish, she was appointed guardian of the Kurilovka school, and at the beginning of april we three times summoned the village assembly and tried to persuade the peasants that their school was old and overcrowded and that it was essential to build a new one a member of the zemstvo board and the inspector of peasant schools came and they too tried to persuade them after each meeting the peasants surrounded us begging for a bucket of vodka we were hot in the crowd we were soon exhausted and returned home dissatisfied and a little ill at ease in the end the peasants set apart a plot of ground for the school and were obliged to bring all the building material from the town with their own horses and the very first sunday after the spring corn was sown carts set off from kurilovka and dubechnya to fetch bricks for the foundations they set off as soon as it was light and came back late in the evening the peasants were drunk and said they were worn out 
as ill luck would have it the rain and the cold persisted all through may the road was in an awful state it was deep in mud the carts usually drove into our yard when they came back from the town and what a horrible ordeal it was a pot-bellied horse would appear at the gate setting its front legs wide apart it would stumble forward before coming into the yard a beam nine yards long wet and slimy looking crept in on a wagon beside it muffled up against the rain strode a peasant with the skirts of his coat tucked up in his belt not looking where he was going but stepping through the puddles another cart would appear with boards then a third with a beam a fourth and the space before our house was gradually crowded up with horses beams and planks men and women with their heads muffled and their skirts tucked up would stare angrily at our windows make an uproar and clamour for the mistress to come out to them coarse oaths were audible meanwhile moisey stood at one side and we fancied he was enjoying our discomfiture we are not going to cart any more the peasants would shout we are worn out let her go and get the stuff herself masha pale and flustered expecting every minute that they would break into the house would send them out a half pail of vodka after that the noise would subside and the long beams one after another would crawl slowly out of the yard when I was setting off to see the building, my wife was worried and said, The peasants are spiteful. I only hope they won't do you a mischief. Wait a minute, I'll come with you. We drove to Kurilovka together, and there the carpenters asked us for a drink. The framework of the house was ready. It was time to lay the foundation, but the masons had not come. This caused delay, and the carpenters complained and when at last the masons did come it appeared that there was no sand it had been somehow overlooked that it would be needed taking advantage of our helpless position the peasants demanded thirty kopecks for each cartload though the distance from the building to the river where they got the sand was less than a quarter of a mile and more than five hundred cartloads were found to be necessary there was no end to the misunderstandings swearing and importunity my wife was indignant and the foreman of the masons tit petrov an old man of seventy took her by the arm and said you look here you look here you only bring me the sand i set ten men on at once and in two days it will be done you look here but they brought the sand and two days passed and four and a week and instead of the promised foundations there was still a yawning hole it's enough to drive one out of one's senses said my wife in distress what people what people in the midst of these disorderly doings the engineer arrived he brought with him parcels of wine and savouries and after a prolonged meal lay down for a nap in the veranda and snored so loudly that the laborers shook their heads and said 
Well. Masha was not pleased at his coming. She did not trust him, though at the same time she asked his advice. When, after sleeping too long after dinner, he got up in a bad humor and said unpleasant things about our management of the place, or expressed regret that he had bought Dubechnya, which had already been a loss to him, poor Masha's face wore an expression of misery. She would complain to him, and he would yawn and say that the peasants ought to be flogged. He called our marriage and our life a farce, and said it was a caprice, a whim. She has done something of that sort before, he said about Masha. She once fancied herself a great opera singer and left me. I was looking for her for two months, and, my dear soul, I spent a thousand roubles on telegrams alone. He no longer called me a dissenter or Mr. Painter and did not, as in the past, express approval of my living like a workman, but said, You are a strange person. You are not a normal person. I won't venture to prophecy, but you will come to a bad end. And Masha slept badly at night, and was always sitting at our bedroom window thinking, There was no laughter at supper now, no charming grimaces, I was wretched, and when it rained, every drop that fell seemed to pierce my heart like small shot, and I felt ready to fall on my knees before Masha and apologize for the weather. When the peasants made a noise in the yard, I felt guilty also. For hours at a time, I sat still in one place, thinking of nothing but what a splendid person Masha was, what a wonderful person. I loved her passionately, and I was fascinated by everything she did, everything she said. She had a bent for quiet, studious pursuits. She was fond of reading for hours together, of studying. Although her knowledge of farming was only from books, she surprised us all by what she knew, and every piece of advice she gave was of value. Not one was ever thrown away, and, with all that, what nobility, what taste, what graciousness, that graciousness which is only found in well-educated people. To this woman, with her sound, practical intelligence, the disorderly surroundings with petty cares and sordid anxieties in which we were living now were an agony. I saw that and could not sleep at night. My brain worked feverishly, and I had a lump in my throat. I rushed about, not knowing what to do. I galloped to the town and brought Masha books, newspapers, sweets, flowers. With Stepan I caught fish, wading for hours up to my neck in the cold water in the rain to catch eel-pout, to vary our fare. I demeaned myself to beg the peasants not to make a noise. I plied them with vodka, bought them off, made all sorts of promises, and how many other foolish things I did. At last the rain ceased, the earth dried. One would get up at four o'clock in the morning, 
one would go out into the garden where there was dew sparkling on the flowers the twitter of birds the hum of insects not one cloud in the sky and the garden the meadows and the river were so lovely yet there were memories of the peasants of their carts of the engineer masha and i drove out together in the racing droshki to the fields to look at the oats she used to drive i sat behind her shoulders were raised and the wind played with her hair keep to the right she shouted to those she met you are like a sledge driver i said to her one day maybe why my grandfather the engineer's father was a sledge driver didn't you know that she asked turning to me and at once she mimicked the way sledge drivers shout and sing and thank god for that i thought as i listened to her thank god and again memories of the peasants of the carts of the engineer dr blagov arrived on his bicycle my sister began coming often again there were conversations about manual labor about progress about a mysterious millennium awaiting mankind in the remote future the doctor did not like our farm work because it interfered with arguments and said that ploughing reaping grazing calves were unworthy of a free man and all these coarse forms of the struggle for existence men would in time relegate to animals and machines while they would devote themselves exclusively to scientific investigation my sister kept begging them to let her go home earlier and if she stayed on till late in the evening or spent the night with us there would be no end to the agitation good heavens what a baby you are still said masha reproachfully it is positively absurd yes it is absurd my sister agreed i know it's absurd but what is to be done if i haven't the strength to get over it i keep feeling as though i were doing wrong at haymaking i ached all over from the unaccustomed labor in the evening sitting on the veranda and talking with the others i suddenly dropped asleep and they laughed aloud at me they waked me up and made me sit down to supper i was overpowered with drowsiness and i saw the lights the faces and the plates as it were in a dream heard the voices but did not understand them and getting up early in the morning i took up the scythe at once or went to the building and worked hard all day when i remained at home on holidays i noticed that my sister and masha were concealing something from me and even seemed to be avoiding me my wife was tender to me as before but she had thoughts of her own apart which she did not share with me there was no doubt that her exasperation with the peasants was growing the life was becoming more and more distasteful to her and yet she did not complain to me she talked to the doctor now more readily than she did to me and i did not understand why it was so it was the custom in our province at haymaking and harvest time for the laborers to come to the manor-house in the evening and be regaled with vodka even young girls drank a glass 
we did not keep up this practice the mowers and the peasant women stood about in our yard till late in the evening expecting vodka and then departed abusing us and all the time masha frowned grimly and said nothing or murmured to the doctor with exasperation savages pitchinegs in the country newcomers are met ungraciously almost with hostility as they are at school and we were received in this way at first we were looked upon as stupid silly people who had bought an estate simply because we did not know what to do with our money we were laughed at the peasants grazed their cattle in our wood and even in our garden they drove away our cows and horses to the village and then demanded money for the damage done by them they came in whole companies into our yard and loudly clamoured that at the mowing we had cut some piece of land that did not belong to us and as we did not yet know the boundaries of our estate very accurately we took their word for it and paid damages afterwards it turned out that there had been no mistake at the mowing they barked the lime trees in our wood one of the dubechnia peasants a regular shark who did a trade in vodka without a license bribed our laborers and in collaboration with them cheated us in a most treacherous way they took the new wheels off our carts and replaced them with old ones stole our ploughing harness and actually sold them back to us and so on but what was most mortifying of all was what happened at the building the peasant women stole by night boards bricks tiles pieces of iron the village elder with witnesses made a search in their huts the village meeting fined them two roubles each and afterwards this money was spent on drink by the whole commune when masha heard about this she would say to the doctor or my sister indignantly what beasts it's awful awful and i heard her more than once express regret that she had ever taken it into her heart to build the school you must understand the doctor tried to persuade her that if you build this school and do good in general it's not for the sake of the peasants but in the name of culture in the name of the future and the worse the peasants are the more reason for building the school understand that but there was a lack of conviction in his voice and it seemed to me that both he and masha hated the peasants masha often went to the mill taking my sister with her and they both said laughing that they went to have a look at stepan he was so handsome stepan it appeared was torpid and taciturn only with men in feminine society his manners were free and easy and he talked incessantly one day going down to the river to bathe i accidentally overheard a conversation masha and cleopatra both in white dresses were sitting on the bank in the spreading shade of a willow and stepan was standing by them with his hands behind his back and was saying are peasants men they are not men but asking your pardon wild beasts impostors what life has a peasant nothing but eating and drinking all he cares for is victuals to keep cheaper 
and swilling liquor at the tavern like a fool and there's no conversation no manners no formality nothing but ignorance he lives in filth his wife lives in filth and his children live in filth what he stands up in he lies down to sleep in he picks the potatoes out of the soup with his fingers he drinks kvass with a cockroach in it and doesn't bother to blow it away it's their poverty of course my sister put in poverty there is want to be sure there's different sorts of want madam if a man is in prison or let us say blind or crippled that really is trouble i wouldn't wish anyone but if a man's free and has all his senses if he has his eyes and his hands and his strength and god what more does he want it's cockering themselves and it's ignorance madam it's not poverty if you let us suppose good gentlefolk by your education wish out of kindness to help him he will drink away your money in his low way or what's worse he will open a drink shop and with your money start robbing the people you say poverty but does the rich peasant live better he too asking your pardon lives like a swine coarse loud-mouthed cudgel-headed broader than his long fat red-faced mug i'd like to swing my fist and send him flying the scoundrel there is larion another rich one at dubechnia and i bet he strips the bark off your trees as much as any poor one and he is a foul-mouthed fellow his children are the same and when he has had a drop too much he'll topple with his nose in a puddle and sleep there they are all a worthless lot madam if you live in a village with them it is like hell it has stuck in my teeth that village has and thank the lord the king of heaven i've plenty to eat and clothes to wear i served out my time in the dragoons i was village elder for three years and now i am a free cossack i live where i like i don't want to live in the village and no one has the right to force me they say my wife they say you are bound to live in your village with your wife but why so i'm not her hired man tell me stepan did you marry for love asked masha love among us in the village answered stepan and he gave a laugh properly speaking madam if you care to know this is my second marriage i am not a kurilovka man i am from i am from zaligoshcho but afterwards i was taken into kurilovka when i married you see my father did not want to divide the land among us there were five of us brothers i took my leave and went to another village to live with my wife's family but my first wife died when she was young what did she die of of foolishness she used to cry and cry and cry for no reason and so she pined away she was always drinking some sort of herbs to make her better looking and i suppose she damaged her inside and my second wife is a kurilovka woman too there is nothing in her 
She's a village woman, a peasant woman, and nothing more. I was taken in when they plighted me to her. I thought she was young and fair-skinned, and that they lived in a clean way. Her mother was just like a flagellant, and she drank coffee, and the chief thing, to be sure, they were clean in their ways. So I married her, and next day we sat down to dinner. I bade my mother-in-law give me a spoon, and she gives me a spoon, and I see her wipe it out with her finger. So much for you, thought I. Nice sort of cleanliness yours is. I lived a year with them, and then I went away. I might have married a girl from the town, he went after a pause. They say a wife is a helpmate to her husband. What do I want with a helpmate? I help myself. I'd rather she talked to me and not clack, 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 but circumstantially, feelingly. What is life without good conversation? Stepan suddenly paused, and at once there was the sound of his dreary, monotonous oo This meant that he had seen me. Masha used often to go to the mill, and evidently found pleasure in her conversations with Stepan. Stepan abused the peasants with such sincerity and conviction, and she was attracted to him. Every time she came back from the mill, the feeble-minded peasant who looked after the garden shouted at her, Wench Palashka! Hala! Wench Palashka! And he would bark like a dog, Gah! Gah! And she would stop and look at him attentively as though in that idiot's barking she found an answer to her thoughts, and probably he attracted her in the same way as Stepan's abuse. At home some piece of news would await her, such, for instance, as that the geese from the village had ruined our cabbage in the garden, or that Larion had stolen the reins, and, shrugging her shoulders, she would say with a laugh, what do you expect of these people she was indignant and there was rancor in her heart and meanwhile i was growing used to the peasants and i felt more and more drawn to them for the most part they were nervous irritable downtrodden people they were people whose imagination had been stifled ignorant with a poor dingy outlook on life whose thoughts were ever the same of the grey earth, of grey days, of black bread, people who cheated, but like birds hiding nothing but their head behind the tree, people who could not count. They would not come to mow for us for twenty rubles, but they came for half a pail of vodka, though for twenty rubles they could have bought four pails. There really was filth and drunkenness and foolishness and deceit, but with all that one yet felt that the life of the peasants rested on a firm, sound foundation. However uncouth a wild animal the peasant following the plough seemed, and however he might stupefy himself with vodka, still looking at him more closely one felt that there was in him what was needed something very important which was lacking in masha and in the doctor for instance 
and that was that he believed the chief thing on earth was truth and justice, and that his salvation and that of the whole people was only to be found in truth and justice, and so more than anything in the world he loved just dealing. I told my wife she saw the spots on the glass, but not the glass itself. She said nothing in reply, or hummed like Stepan, When this good-hearted and clever woman turned pale with indignation, and with a quiver in her voice spoke to the doctor of the drunkenness and dishonesty, it perplexed me, and I was struck by the shortness of her memory. How could she forget that her father, the engineer, drank too, and drank heavily, and that the money with which Dubechnia had been bought had been acquired by a whole series of shameless, impudent dishonesties? How could she forget it? End of section 6